All right, so today we're going to be in John chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, 11. But before we get there, I feel like we're still not, you know, I feel like our bones are not greased up. So if you could just be a little goofy with me for a minute, because we, you know, I feel like we got to loosen up a little bit. Can you look to somebody and just like wave your hand really fast? Like don't hit the person next to you, but just wave it really, really, really fast. Hello, hello, how you doing? Good, good. All right, hello, live stream people. Good to see you. Okay, uh, so today we're going to look at a passage where you may be looking in your Bible and saying, uh, Chet, why does this little notation say uh, not in the earliest manuscripts? So we're going to talk about that today. There may have been moments that, that you've heard John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 preached, and maybe it was skipped over, or maybe it was glossed over. We're going to spend a whole Sunday on it, because this is why. It is so important that we as Christians get into the deep issues of the text, so we are better prepared as Christians to not only defend the Bible, but believe it ourselves. All right, so we're going to get into it today. It's going to be good. God's word holds truth and power now, just like it did in the Old Testament and the early church. God's word transcends generations, most definitely. So I'm going to be as clear as I can be with you today. We're going over a section of scripture that you probably have questions about, and I intend to answer them. But first, let's be reminded of what God's word is and how it impacts us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. And then finally, Isaiah 55, 11. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Speaking about the word of the Lord, I know you heard a powerful message last week. I pray that you have dressed yourself well in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, Brother Aubrey, for preaching that message. Appreciate you. If you would, at this time, make sure your Bible's open to John chapter 7 or your Bible app, or also you can go to version because you know we're all fancy and stuff now. Um, you can do that. So you notice, some of your Bibles probably say something like, the earliest manuscripts do not include 7, 53 through 8, 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that as we... Dig into your text, Father, that we can be transparent with what your text says, what it means, who you are. And God, I pray today that we take away from this message that your word sustains us, God, that your word is powerful. God, that your word transcends generations no matter who reads it, when they read it. It has power and it has life because, Father, you inspired it. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the reason you see that notation is because of textual criticism. Now, in order to not make this seem like we're just teaching, I am teaching right now, but I'm also preaching to you and I'm declaring you this text. I want you to understand what textual criticism is because this is very important. See, I believe that the Christian church is so watered down today, partly because of our, it's us pastors' faults 
not preaching the hard texts in the scripture. And I believe that we have not given the church the ability to use their own intellect to dig deep into the scripture and to search their heart. This is what I want to tell you today. Criticism is a harsh word, but the meaning here is a good thing. The Bible you read was translated by translation committees who translated the New Testament from Koine Greek to English. Now, whenever you, Koine Greek's a beautiful language, by the way. There's a lot of word pictures. The English language cannot capture everything in the Koine Greek, which is why a lot of us, you know, don't have eight hours a day that they can study Greek and and learn the scriptures. So you come to church on Sunday expecting to hear a good exegesis of the text, correct? And so I hope that I can do the very best I can today in communicating this to you. So I want you to leave today with more confidence in your Bible than when you walked in. God is faithful in preserving and giving us his word. Textual criticism. Basically, this is what would happen. Whenever you got the Pentateuch, okay, the first five books of the Old Testament, scribes would copy that because there there was no printing press. And so scribes would spend 12 hours a day, six days a week, hunched over like this. They were, you know, they were just sitting down, Indian style, hunched over like this. And actually in some of their notations in their, their works, they would note how much their back hurts. I mean, come on, like your back would hurt too, right? If you were hunched over for 12 hours a day. Um, it's pretty fascinating. So, and that's the same way in, in the New Testament. What would happen is they would copy it over. There would be this auditorium filled with scribes, right? And someone would be reading the text and reading the scripture. And these scribes are, are writing down, they're dictating what they hear, copying the text to get as many copies as possible. And so what we do today is we do something called textual criticism, We have the word of God, and the way this word of God came to be as a one cohesive book is because we have very trusted scholarly men and women who study the text and decide, because look, this it's it's an it's a task, y'all. Like we're talking, we're digging up ancient artifacts, okay? We're digging up ancient manuscripts, and they're putting pieces together. All right, this takes years and decades to do. So when you see, not in the earliest manuscripts, what that means is that in the past, a translation committee put that in the Bible because that's all they had. But now, as years go on, we're finding new manuscripts, which, by the way, by the way, never changes the doctrine, never changes the gospel. Because actually, this passage goes in line with what the other four gospel accounts have said about Jesus. It actually complements one another. It's excruciating process, one that needed to happen. And I'm so grateful that we have a printing press today to get God's word out as much as possible. This proves God's sustainability. Think about it, going from scribes in an auditorium to sitting on this pulpit right here. God sustained his word through famine. God sustained his word through war. God sustained his war through dictatorship. God's word remains faithful because we serve a faithful God. You may be wondering, why in the world are you telling me these things this morning? I'm telling you because it's your responsibility to know the Bible you hold. I was taught my whole childhood. Don't worry about that there, Chet. Don't worry about that. We'll teach you the Bible. You don't have to read the Bible. Just look at those cute little pictures. 
and come hear the homily. I got you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I was told that my whole life, and so that's what I believed. And, well, because of that, I had, did not have the word of God in my mind or my heart, which is why I went wayward for so many years. Who knows? Maybe if I would have had a, a Bible-believing church that I was part of, maybe I would have just went wayward for one year. You know, maybe, you, you know, you just never know. The God's word changes and transforms, and it's important to have in our lives. If you don't know the meat of Scripture, you will fall for sour milk. Amen? I want you to see today that no translation is absolutely perfect in translation. Words. It's perfect in faith and doctrine, what we believe in the Baptist faith and message. Some people will come up to me and say, what's, what's, what's your favorite translations? And I, I use that as an opportunity to share exactly how the Bible comes to be. And there's, there's great videos on YouTube, by the way. I was going to show one today, but I'm not going to. Um, if you would just type in textual criticism, I'll, I'll post this, this video later for you to watch. It just goes through the whole process um, of how we get where we are today with textual criticism. And it's really good stuff. But check this, check this out. God's word is infallible and inerrant. Okay, so what, what in the world are those words, right? Infallible means incapable of making mistakes. Incapable of making mistakes. Inerrant means incapable of being wrong. Faith and practice. We believe this in the Baptist faith and message 2000. Now, the Baptist faith and message is not some um, creed that we recite in church. The Baptist faith and message is a cohesive agreement that this is what we believe, and this is why, because it's important. Hey, by the way, you know why we're in the mess we're in as a church? Because people don't know the Bible. <laughs> I mean, hey, look, you know, the point is, is, is if, you just, if you just type in like modern preacher on YouTube or you check out all the cool modern churches and you listen to them, they pull one scripture and then preach about their book that they wrote. Um, or they share a bunch of really cool stories and say, oh, this relates to 2 Corinthians 5.2. You know, um, th that, that's not what we are to do. We are to dig into the word of God. And um, as pastors, as preachers, I am to point you to the word of God. This is your responsibility as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus. Joseph D. Woodall said this in the Baptist Faith and Message, quote, endorsing inerrancy, however, gives scripture rather than its reader, the final authoritative word. In other words, even with humans, Nothing can be perfect, but with God's word, it can, according to faith and practice. This proves God's word to be divine, perfect, true, and holy. Now, by the way, by the way, the translation committees, even those who translated the KJV are human. The scribes who copied hundreds of copies are human. However, God kept his word intact. God kept his word intact. That should give us hope and security in who our God is and how powerful he is and how almighty he is because he transcends generations. He's the same God today as he was yesterday. That should bring you hope. Now, if you are doubting the reliability of your Bible right now, you are not hearing me. These words have been preserved. God sustains it. God is the author of it. God will keep his promises in it. Are there verb changes or what found to be added words? Yes. But 
the meaning of the text never changes. How about that? The meaning of the text is the same. So whether you're reading the ESV or the NASB or the KJV or the New King James Version, the meaning will be the same. I will argue, though, if you're reading a newer version of the NIV, let's talk because they do some really weird things, okay? Um, I don't promote that Bible. These are the top four translations. I just want to throw this out there that I use that I've found to be textually solid. The NASB, the CSB, the ESV, and the NLT. Sometimes we just need some more modern language. Um, I have a habit of when I read through the scripture that, especially if it's like the CSB or the NASB or a more literal translation, when I read a passage, I'm okay, I can break that up into point one, point two. But when I'm just doing my quiet time, I just want to be able to read. Um, So a lot of times I'll read the NLT because it's just easy to read and um, it works. All right, John 7, 53. Everybody get your Bibles open. We're going to dig right in. I will preach this passage today because this message of Jesus's love and mercy for sinners is consistent with the other four gospel accounts, okay? However, this is not in the earliest manuscripts that we've found, which is such an interesting study, guys. It really is. Um, it, once, you, once you really start understanding textual criticism, you start to see, wow, God really is in this thing. It's amazing. Then each one went to his house, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2 in chapter 8. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go. And from now on, do not sin anymore. Truth number one, those who harbor sin in their hearts are the quickest to point out the sin in others. Amen. Right? Those who harbor sin in their hearts are the quickest to point out sin in others. That's the litmus test, friends. If you meet someone and all they do is point out fault in others, there's some dark, grievous things going on in their heart. So you pray for them and you have compassion on them. See, you can bet your bottom dollar, that's the truth. I've seen it 125% of the time. But what do we do with such people? Well, there's a couple of things. The first thing you can do is confront them if they're a close friend and ask them if there's anything you can do to help them because there's obviously some pain going on in their heart, some, some anger or hatred. The next thing you can do is ask a question. Have you talked to that person about it? And of course, if all else fails and you are highly uncomfortable, you just change the subject. (laughs) We've all been there. We know what it's like, especially in the workplace. I find those are the most, can be some of the most, um, the best gospel conversations, but at the same time can be the the hardest to kind of get sucked into those those bad conversations, you know, talking about other people or whatever it is. And sometimes it's hard to just step out and and, uh, say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? You know, are you okay? 
Can I pray for you? Truth number two, Jesus shows mercy to the worst of who we are. No matter what you've done or who you are, Jesus will forgive you if you believe and obey. Wow. So wait a minute. Are you telling me, preacher, like if I, if I commit murder or if I steal from my family or if I lie to my mommy and daddy, like Jesus can't forgive me? That's exactly what I'm telling you. No matter what, I, never, I always hear it every time when I'm talking to someone. They'll say, well, I, I want to wait until I clean up a little bit and I'll go to church. I say, well, I'm glad I didn't believe that because I still ain't cleaned up, <laughs> all right? It's taken a while, y'all. When I think of God's mercy, I think of this. I can vividly remember being awake in a shed with no flooring and only three walls. It was summertime in South Louisiana, so it was hot. It was just me and acquaintance, and we finished snorting all the cocaine about 5 a.m. Mind you, this wasn't our property. And after we were done, we went in the nearby cemetery and jumped in empty catacombs. Not sure why we did that. Not long after this, I sold everything I had for a four-day high, only to find myself dreading days and looking forward to night because I can hide and get high. If God can take this wretched cocaine-snorting thief and turn him into a new creation, he can do for you. See, there's a problem today. Today, people say, well, I don't have... I don't have a good testimony. Yes, you do. The pride in your heart is worse than snorting cocaine. Come on, y'all. The pride in our hearts is worse than snorting cocaine. If we claim to be a believer, yet we have hatred and anger and pride in our hearts, we blaspheme the name of Jesus, and it's worse than a lost person snorting cocaine. That's the truth. You may think, oh, I've attended church, I'm good, or oh, no good doctrine, I'm good, or I think I'm good because I help other people. Friends, pride is, 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 is it's deep-rooted in our hearts, and sometimes we need someone to tell us the truth to get it out. See, many of us are good at practicing religion. Oh, we're good. Oh, we're good. We know what to do. We know what to say. But let me tell you something. Let me ask you something. Is your heart obeying Jesus? Because, friends, when Jesus was on the scene, he contradicted culture. He went against what the norm was of the day, and he sought to save those who were lost, and that was his mission. His mission wasn't to go hang out in the synagogue. His mission was to go in the streets and be the light of God to those who are in darkness. That was Jesus' mission, and that should be our mission. His love and mercy knows no boundary other than your hardened heart. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Ooh, did y'all hear that? Judgment is without, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is mercy? Mercy is an unhingement of the grace of God. 
Mercy is when someone does you utterly wrong and you say, I forgive you. Not only will I say I forgive you, but I will show you that I forgive you and I love you in spite of it. That's powerful stuff. Because I'm gonna tell you, it's hard. When our feelings get hurt, it's hard to forgive. It is hard to forgive. And I'll admit, it's hard for me to forgive. But God calls us to mercy. Matthew 9, 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what are we to do with this mercy? First, we're to accept it. We are not too far gone to accept it. The invitation of Jesus's mercy is here right now. Now on the flip side, don't let the pride blind your eyes to the sin in your life. You need mercy just like the person sitting next to you. There's nothing you can do in church that that will earn mercy and grace from God. It is a free gift. It is a free gift. Now, if you have accepted grace and mercy from God, you're going to want to be in church with fellow believers because you have a yearning to be with one another, to fellowship with one another. But we don't do it for that. This is, this is it right here. This is the bottom line. You are sinful and wretched, every single one of you, and I'm right there with you. You have pride and hatred and anger in your heart sometimes. And you know what? It's time to confess. It's time not only to confess, but to exhibit mercy. It's time to accept the mercy of God and give it to others. That's what happens. Whenever we look at Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus, I I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you are the one and only true God. I believe that you have all authority. I believe that you are sovereign king. I believe that you are master. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. I'm going to admit that I'm wretched. I'm going to admit that I can never measure up to who you are. And I will lay myself down at the feet of the cross and I will worship you and you will be my boss. Whatever you say, I will do. That's a hard call. But friends, if you've done anything less than that, you haven't accepted Jesus. You have to believe and you have to obey. The word believe and obey go hand in hand in Koine Greek. You can't just walk down an aisle and say a prayer. B.A. mentioned it, and he said it perfectly. He was dunked, but he wasn't truly saved yet. And later on in life, he made a true decision, and that's when Jesus changed him because that's whenever faith met obedience and obedience met faith. There has to be obedience in our life. But it's unpopular today, isn't it? It's unpopular. Hey, look, this is free, okay? I know y'all not paying to be here. Oh, well, you might, I don't know. Um, Anyway, this is free. It's gonna get harder. Guys, the the older generation in here have been telling us our whole whole life, hey, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. We've we've seen it getting worse. And now as I get older, I'm believing what they're saying. (laughs) (laughs) it is getting worse. Like, okay, maybe the older generation actually knows what they're talking about. There's some wise people. Um, It's gonna get worse. So what do we do? We need to be armed and prepared with the word of God to walk through those moments with mercy. When someone hurts us, we don't get our feelings all up in a bunch and we don't get all mad and confused. We say, okay, 
mercy, God, mercy, 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 mercy. God, I am hinging upon your mercy and your grace, and I want to love this person. Whatever it is, whatever's going on, we as the family of God are to walk in unity with one another. The division. I don't, I don't see that in here. I don't, I don't see division in here. I don't see hatred in here. I don't see religiosity. I see Jesus defying culture and being like, you know what, I'm God, and I'm going to do what God called me to do here. So move out of my way. He was very loving, but he knew his mission. He knew his mission. Do you know your mission? Romans 3, 9 through 24. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. Paul's talking about grace and sin. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction, meaning between Jew and Greek. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In closing, do you have a relationship with Jesus that exhibits faith and obedience? If you don't, you need to now. Because friends, let me tell you, I think we're all gonna be surprised when we get to heaven. Jesus is very clear. It is not about a prayer. Jesus even said, he said, foxes have a place to lay their heads. I don't. Are you sure you wanna follow me? Are you sure you wanna come where I'm going? If you don't know the penalty of sin, you will not need, you will not find need for a savior. This is your invitation, friends. This is an important one. Please hear me out. We expect lost people to act right whenever we sit in our churches and there's no ounce of repentance. Come on. The church of Jesus Christ should lead the way of repentance. The closer we get to Jesus, the more worthless we look. The more I grow closer to Jesus, the more wretched I am and the more I have to depend upon God's power. It breaks my heart to see how just disgusting I am compared to God. Guys, there's nothing we can wear, there's nothing we can do to measure up to God, it has to be from him. We can try to say all the right words and do all the right things, but it's never going to be enough. It's only through Jesus. That's how it's enough. He did all the work for us. But we have to believe and obey.
And you may be saying, well, are you, are you preaching a, a works-based salvation? No, 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 no. When you look at the definition of believe, obedience is in that definition of agree. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I beg you, friends, please seek him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. God, I, I beg you right now, Father, that your Holy Spirit, Father, we, need, we cannot do this alone, God. We need you. Father, there is a need for regeneration in this church. There is a need of liveliness. There is a need of your grace and mercy. There is a need of repentance. Father, doing things is not enough, God, and I know you know that, and we need help. Father, please, I beg you, as the worthless sinner of a pastor that you placed here, <laughs> I know, Father, we, we all think pastors are these perfect little people that stand up here, but we're not. We're man. We're men. And Father, I pray that, that you would just help us to, to understand what it means, Lord, to, to repent, to, to realize the pride in our hearts, and that we would just have a sweet surrender, Lord, that we can experience your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room today that, that knows and sees the sin in their heart through the, the preaching of your word today, that they would respond in faith, Lord, in obedience to trust in you. Not to just say a prayer, but Father, that they would truly surrender themselves to you and walk through that in, in the act of baptism and walk through that in the act of service and the act of loving and giving. And Father, help us as a church to come back together because this virus has really just stopped our fellowship. And God, I just pray from here on out, Lord, that we can make a commitment to one another to walk in faith and to be who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray.